So there's a reason why I started Blood Origins. And that reason is simple. Is that I wanted to convey the truth about hunting. It brings awareness to, to non-hunters that it's, it's more than just killing animals. How do I start it? Brittany. My name, my name is. Does my hair look okay? It's fantastic. My name is Mike Axelrod. Start again. Yeah, I hated it too. Braxton, <laughs> you said something in the car to me. You said that you were living on borrowed time. Hmm. There's a perception around who hunters are, what we're supposed to be, and a, a feminist that works for a non-profit that is a hunter that has only eaten wild game for the last 20 years is likely not the thing that people think about when it comes to a hunter. Professor Adam Hart is a professor in Gloucestershire in the United Kingdom. He was an entomologist. He considers himself a conservation biologist today. Adam and a number of other voices in the UK are ones that question as well as champion trophy hunting. That may seem like a conundrum, but as you'll see in this conversation, he talks about value, he talks about evidence, he talks about that he doesn't enjoy seeing the trophy pictures from hunting, but he completely understands how the model is bringing value to wildlife, biodiversity, and habitats across many parts of the world. So what's the solution? How do we bring the two sides together? The side that is pro-hunting and the side that is anti-hunting. Well, this conversation sort of pokes holes in trying to figure out how we can do that. Okay. Um, it's, yeah, it makes a lot more of the day, that's for sure. No, absolutely. I'm, a, I'm definitely a morning person. I think people talk about those periods of the day where you're just at your maximum. I, I know there's a technical term for it. I can't remember it. I should, yeah. because if I'm a morning person, I should remember it. Yeah. You've got plenty of time to read about it. You know what you're doing in the morning. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's my, it's my time that I'm the most productive. Um, yes. I get you know, time to myself. There's no emails flying in. You can actually do some work. Um, and, as a prof and as a professor, uh, as you are, I distinctly remember getting into my office when I was a professor. I'd get into my office at 6 a.m. because between 6 a.m. and 8 a.m., I could do more work yeah. than from 8 a.m. to 1 o'clock because it, at, at 8 a.m., the door starts knocking, students yeah. start coming in, professors want to have a coffee, they want to have a chat. <laughs> Sounds very familiar. It's like people go, oh, don't, don't you miss that working from home? And it's like, Actually, not so much. <laughs> it's, not, it's surprising. Yeah, people go, I, I seem to have got more time these days. It's like, yeah, you're not sitting around drinking coffee, pretending that you're getting stuff done and then panicking that you haven't got anything done. It's called, it's called being efficient. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, Adam Hart, welcome to the podcast. Thank uh, you. This is an iron sharpening iron type conversation. We don't tend to pull punches. Uh, it is amicable, but it's meant to be thought provoking. and. Um, we had your friend Keith Somerville on, and he was a riot. Keith is always good. Always good to have a talk to um, or a talk with, particularly yeah, his experience. 
his experiences of Africa, his knowledge, you know, his knowledge, the, the, all the background to this stuff is, is incredible. So yeah, it's, it's always, always a good chat. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, uh, Adam, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself where you are currently, um, what you do as a day job? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm Adam Hart. I'm, uh, my formal title is Professor of Science Communication um, at the University of Gloucestershire. I'm actually in lovely rural Gloucestershire at the moment. It's a lovely sunny day here um, as, as spring starts to, to really move on. Um, and, you know, my, my day job is kind of a mix of teaching, research, and, and I do a lot of outreach and engagement. And over the last 10 years, really, I mean, it's an interesting transition. I, I'm still an entomologist. So my, my sort of background and training is in insect science. Um, you know, that's what I did my PhD in. But the last 10 years or so I've been doing, I've always been interested in ecology in a wider sort of sphere anyway. And the last 10 years or so I've been doing a lot of work in Southern Africa um, on Southern African ecology and conservation and all sorts of other things, which I'm sure we'll get onto in terms of um, the role of hunting, for example, in conservation. So I guess really at, at this stage, um, 10 years ago, I might have called myself an entomologist. Then I switched into sort of an ecologist. And I suppose at this stage, I'm starting to become more of a conservation biologist. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in bigger picture stuff though. I've always, you know, I like I, stuff fits together, right? Nothing's nothing. You can't really silo yourself in the modern world, right. particularly in things like ecology because everything is inter, interlinked. So if, if I go to Southern Africa and I'm interested in looking at insects, I need to be interested in the vegetation and the way the land is managed and the interactions. Otherwise there's nothing for me to look at, you know, regardless of whether it's a ant or an antelope. So actually these things are all quite linked. Yeah. I think one of the most fascinating um, classes I ever took and I'm a I'm an ecologist by training I have a PhD in aquatic biogeochemistry and when I was in South Africa studying doing my BSc my honors and my master's one of my favorite classes as a undergraduate bachelor of science was the entomology class and my professor's name was Marcus Byrne Dr. Marcus Byrne and what Marcus's uh, claim to fame was was he understood how the sun interacted with dung beetles in terms of how they rolled dung in different directions. Yeah. Absolutely fascinating. And then you went and did the field component of it and started messing around with dung beetles and putting like shade over them as they started rolling dung. That is cool as a student. Yeah. Yeah, those and those are the, the one of the great things about insects is those sorts of manipulations you can actually do because of the scale and size that you're dealing with. Whereas if you start talking about, you know, why, you know, why does zebra move in a certain direction, and you start hypothesizing, oh, well, it's because you know of the stars or the Earth's magnetic field. You haven't got a lot to do, but you know, I know people that study the magnetic field of, of effect on ants, and you can just build in a lab these big Helmholtz coils they're called, and you can actually manipulate it. And that's one of the, that is one of the great the great joys of working with insects is you can do a lot you can do a lot with them just because of their scale. Yeah, we did a, uh, we were on a coastal field trip also. One of the classes was a coastal field trip and we had to come up with an experiment. And in those coastal fields uh, in KwaZulu-Natal, you have these, gosh, the, the name's going to escape me, but they're almost big millipedes. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're, they're like, they're, and they, 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 uh, they roll up into a very, very tight ball, very yeah. smooth. And our experiment was, could we take one and and sort of create a learned behavior on him to say that every time we touch him, he's actually not going to get hurt and he would take less time to unroll himself. Yeah. Well, that proved yeah. that that was not. Can, can you habituate a millipede? Yeah. <laughs> now they're really, they're really cool. Those things. Um, we, you find them when you find them freshly dead, 
and pick one up. Like the, the, the older ones don't work, but if they've still got some colour to them and stuff, pick them up and just try and crush them in your fingers. They are so strong, those things. Um, incredible stuff. And just for the audience's sake, because uh, well, we actually have a quite a, a good global fingerprint when it comes to our audience. Gloucestershire is where in the UK? We're in the UK. So um, west of London, uh, north of Bristol. That's a good way of thinking about it. So if you, um, if you imagine the UK, you've got Wales kind of sticking out on the left-hand side and sort of Cornwall sticking down like a big... Um, a big sort of, uh, well, a big peninsula coming down. And, and in between Wales and Cornwall, you've got a little sort of inlet. Um, that's the River Severn. And the River Severn passes about uh, half a mile from my house here. So it comes up through, up through the sort of Bristol Channel there, up into uh, the centre of the country. And yeah, Gloucestershire's just, uh, just kind of up off, off that. Very rural kind of location, actually. So let's set the scene for the conversation. As I understand it, and I did my research, actually, no, Keith started talking to me. You are now a hunter. Well, um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting thing. Yeah, do I consider myself that? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm involved uh, as Keith is in in deer management, um, which is an important part of of the ecology of of the UK, an important part of the ecology of, of lots of places. Um, you know, it's it's yeah, it's a necessary thing, and I'm sure Keith spoke to you about some of the activities he does in the. Um, in the Chilterns, um, which is uh, east of here, west of London, mm -hmm. um, to do with woodland regeneration. Mm -hmm. We see lots of um, lots of areas here. Of course, you know that's uh, that's an ongoing issue here in the UK and 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 indeed in other places too. And when it comes to wildlife management, hunting is a tool for wildlife management. It ca it can be, yeah. When so it's can we. When it's done in a regulated fashion and, and when it's done as management, it, it can be a management tool, but of course it isn't always. Could you step back a little bit and sort of talk through very quickly, what are the tools? We talk about it as a tool in certain places at certain times. What are the tools that really can be used to manage wildlife? Yeah, I mean, it really depends on what you, what you want to do for management. Um, I guess, I guess ultimately what we have to decide with the natural world, um, particularly those parts of the natural world that we have a huge amount of, of overlap with, which these days is increasingly more and more, is what, what, what does our end picture look like? Well, what's, our, what's our goal? Um, so we could say, well, we're going to sit back and we're just going to let nature take its course. That's a perfectly acceptable end goal. And, and in fact, that's what nature does naturally um, and, and still does across, across large chunks of the world for sure. Um, but if we do that in areas where natural processes have been massively interrupted, then we end up with a problem. Um, and that problem is that, that nature will take its course, but it will end up with an end result that is not desirable to us in terms of producing the sorts of level of biodiversity and the sorts of habitat that we're interested in, in producing. And so we end up with this kind of interesting situation where we have to have an end goal in mind. So for example, let's, let's say we're talking about woodland regeneration. We, we want to produce an ancient woodland or we want to produce a, a, a well, we can't produce ancient woodland by definition, but we want to produce a, a high biodiversity woodland. And so we plant our trees, we look at what we're doing. And as part of that management, we have to think, well, we're going to have herbivores coming in and eating those trees. Now, that's absolutely fine. That's a natural process. But of course, if there are too many, um, as may be the case, for example, with, um, uh, with deer in the UK, then you have to have some form of management. Now, that management can be exclusion. So you can simply keep parts of the habitat the way you like it by excluding other parts of the habitat. We do that with plants, of course, all the time. Um, we remove non-native plants, often <laughs> very unsuccessfully and very labor intensively, but, but we have a go, right? I've been involved in rhododendron <laughs> removal and that is a, a difficult process for yep. sure. Yep. Um, 
or we can be more active. Uh, we, we can exclude the animals that we want uh, to exclude from the, 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 the trees themselves. So, for example, you can fence it um, locally or extensively. Or, of course, you can have a more, um, a more extreme form of management where you remove those animals. Um, now, you may choose to do that by introducing natural predators. And, of course, we've got lots of examples across the world of, of sort of, well, we've got a problem with one animal, so we'll put this other animal in. And then, oh, that's not quite gone well. Well, we'll put this other animal in. <laughs> you know, we can end up with this sort of difficult thing. Um, or, in some cases, we may choose to use lethal control. And, you know, that, that's, that's always controversial and, and it should be, um, you know, just, just the same as controlling cats on, on islands, for example. I mean, there's lots of places in the world where people will lethally control cats because of their problem, you know, the problem that they have with hunting birds and, and mammals and, and in some cases invertebrates as well. You know, all of these things, but it's, it's part of a toolkit. And, you know, that tool, like any tool, um, you can use it well and you can use it to get your end result and everyone can be happy with it. Or you can use it poorly and either people are unhappy with the way you're using it or they're unhappy with the end result. And, you know, as conservationists, as ecologists, as everything else, you know, there's this endless discussion and problems because it's a murky, dirty world out there. There's lots of grey and very often there isn't one single good solution. And so very often you have to make the best of a bad bunch. And, and you know, I guess across conservation, that's, that's, that's something we do. Now, that's, that's that side of it in terms of control. Um, but obviously one of the one of the things that you know we will be talking about is is the use of hunting as a, a way of gaining revenue which is another form of, of conservation which is of course trophy hunting is you know what that has become known as which is essentially when you i suppose sell the hunting rights i guess um to to individuals um in order to to get money in so that you can pay for things like fencing and vehicles and fuel and, and all the other things that you need to keep that habitat safe um so those Adam, are the sort Adam, of main Shouldn't we always think about value, though? So even the, the woodland regeneration side of the equation, and Africa is an easy one because, you know, value there is jobs, value there is medical, value there is schools, value there is, you know, yeah. not monetarily, but value there is intact habitat. It, shouldn't we always consider value, for instance, in that woodland scenario, the regenerative forest even as an end goal there's a value to that in in yes. your mind in, in keith's mind in the community's mind yeah value and, and value within ecology and conservation is very is, is very difficult because yeah we all have different senses of value so for example i might, I might visit africa and, and sit and watch an elephant come through and to me there is an immense value in that that I actually it's, it's quite hard to really express in that terms because it's a it's a very personal thing there's value in seeing the animal it makes it makes you feel something right it makes you feel good right and, and there's a value in that um, there's a value in understanding the why I, I like looking at animals for example and having some understanding of how they fit into their ecology I like looking up things about them you know I get an intellectual value out of it as well as a, a sort of I suppose a, an emotional value from it um, and I guess I'm sitting in someone's, you know, on someone's property and I've paid to be there. So there is a financial value in me seeing that elephant, which is translated to other people who then take that financial value and turn it into whatever value they want. Right. And this is yep. the sort of the value chain of it. But that's a very privileged position. If I was sitting in a, a small village in a, in a you know, fairly insecure dwelling, for example, and I had crops outside which were going to feed my family, I would be viewing that elephant very differently. Um, I, I might not be viewing it with, with quite such a, um, a positive value, the value to that elephant might, might then be negative. But of course, that could be a complex situation as well. Um, you know, when you talk to people that live alongside wildlife, 
Um, and I know that, that, you know, you spoke to Amy Dickman about this and sort of people that live alongside lions, for example, it's not as simple and straightforward as, you know, those animals have no value at all. Um, they have complex cultural significance to people, but equally they can also be a problem. So yeah, val value is a very, very tricky concept within conservation, within ecology, within wildlife in general, because, well, first of all, it's very hard to quantify many of the values we're talking about. And that's a an issue and secondly many many people have different perspectives and may have multiple perspectives at the same time on those different things and, and trying to bring all those things together is is an exceptionally challenging um, thing to get involved with so I, I totally agree with you i totally agree that it is a a complex challenge but i always try to boil it down to the most you know parsimonious this is the thing that you need to focus on the most and i think you you touched on it which is the value to the person on the ground, the value yeah. to the person that is interacting with that wildlife one-on-one. -on -one. And as you said, their value is, could be different than yours in which an elephant could be seen as not a, something that I like to see every day from an emotional perspective to a, I don't want to see that elephant every day because it means that he's eating my crops and, you know, taking out the food that's potentially going into my kids' mouths. But there is an opportunity to change the value of that animal for that person in the ground. And those are models that, you know, conservation models of which trophy hunting is one model by which the value chain can be, can be altered such that in a trophy hunting sense, there can be more wildlife or that elephant can be seen differently. Yeah, that's, that, that is fundamental, I suppose, to, to that model, to the ecotourism model as well. Um, it changes the value. And, and ideally, of course, it changes, it tips the value from negative or, you know, hovering around that to a positive value. That's the first thing. But of course, what you're also aiming to do from a conservation perspective is not just focus on, on that species. Um, you're trying to focus on the habitat overall. And you know, the idea is that, that, that by doing that, you, you don't just value this animal because there can be some financial gain for it, some meat gain. Um, and you know, people will often poo-poo that and go, well, it's not all about money. And it's like, yeah, well, that's very easy for you to say because you have it. Yeah, <laughs> it is all about money if you don't have it. And that's, you know, that, that's a, a major perspective. And I think that's something people often forget. Um, but yeah, you're trying to shift that value. You're trying to shift that value from negative to positive. And you're trying to make it so that that land, I mean, fundamentally, that this is what we're dealing with. You know, we're dealing with model, we're trying to come up with models that make that land more valuable for wildlife than not. I mean, I'm looking out of my window now, and I used to be able to have uninterrupted views up to a beautiful wooded um, hillside. And there was fields, and, and actually, I say fields, the farm wasn't really farming them at all. It was kind of wild land, right? It was great. There's hedgerows, cookies this time of year and everything. Yeah, that's gone now because that farmer had more value for that land selling it for housing. So I look out now and, you know, I can still see the hills, but in the middle distance, it's housing. Um, it happens here. It happens all over the world. And, and it's happening in, in areas like Southern Africa that we, you know, that we know have very high conservation value. Land has pressure put upon it. And that pressure comes from people and people that, have the same aspirations and the same desires and hopes as we do um you know they want energy they want to, to have security and safety for their family and so on and you know those pressures they, they they convert this land here into housing 
there's a big supermarket going up about two miles away, you know, same, same deal. Um, but here we, you know, we just kind of accept that. But when it happens elsewhere, we think it's terrible. And both of those things are right, right? Both of those positions are right. But we have to find ways. If we value that land for wildlife, we have to find models that put a value on it that, is in, that the wildlife is intrinsic to. Otherwise, it's going to end up, it's going to end up with other uses. You know, I visit a place in South Africa that 10 years ago, you'd stand at night and you could see a few lights and stuff around. And that was about it. There was some mining operations going off in the distance. It's in um, Northwest province, which has lots of um, platinum mining and so on. But that was it. You know, you go there now, there's bright lights everywhere. There's, there's, there's informal and formal settlements that are built up to, to, to do it because mining had more value than, the, than, than what was there before. Um, that's, that's indeed you might expect, given that they're extracting platinum. Um, you know, finding it, we have to find those ways to get, to get that land valued with wildlife on it. And ecotourism is a great method when it works. It doesn't work everywhere. Trophy hunting can be a great method when it works and it doesn't work everywhere. You know, these, these are models. These, these, they're not, I think that's the thing. A lot of people sort of say, well, there's one thing or the other. It's like, hang on. <laughs> the world's kind of a complex place. Um, you know, trophy hunting wouldn't have saved my view up to the hill. Right. It's not going to it's not going to work in every place. Neither, neither, by the way, would ecotourism. Right. No one's going to come here to look around at a hedgerow. You know, that's that's what we have to try and do. And we have to try and do it across the world. Now, focus is always in, you know, places elsewhere. But actually, it should be on our own doorstep too. You know? How can right. we find ways to to get the land valued for wildlife if that's what we want? Right. It's um, I like what you said, because and I think we, you know, Sometimes as hunters, we tend to get boxed in and we, we believe that our way is the best way. Our way uh, one is of, one the, of the only biggest, way. Go ahead. Well, I mean, one of the biggest, one of the biggest things that you'll, hear, um, that you'll hear sort of trophy hunters particularly talk about, um, which is a different kind of kettle of fish, for, you know, in terms, of, in terms of the finance. I mean, I don't think a lot of people realize just how expensive some of these trips are. And, and, and what you'll hear them say quite frequently, and you hear it written down a lot, hunting is conservation. And quite clearly, that's nonsense. Right. You know, it isn't right. It, it is a tool that may facilitate conservation if that chain from money to, to conservation is done correctly. Um, but when yeah, you say I'm, it's you, when you say it's it, hunting is not conservation and I agree with you. Break that down. It's not the action that is conservation. No, no it's not. And, and I think that's where a lot of um, a lot of sort of uh, hunters sort of fall into problems when they start the, this, describing what they'll do, because they will justify it with this. Just the same as, by the way, the people that, that on the ground will support it with the it pays, it stays. You know, it's this, it's this kind of catchy thing. And, and there's a certain amount of truth to that, for sure, as we've just seen. But it's not quite as simple as that. And I think, I think you, you'll hear hunters say Hunt, hunting is conservation. And, what, and it's a shorthand, right? You've got several steps in the chain. So if you're a hunter and you pay to hunt, right? So you're not involved in kind of, you know, management culls and things like that. But you're actually going to, a, let, let's say, your classic sort of archetypal high worth individual um, paying a large sum of money to go to another country to for a hunting experience right so they say hunting is conservation what they mean is that that that, that they are paying to go somewhere that that money will then be distributed locally and that that money and the resources that it can provide are then used for conservation on the ground, right? So right. That, that's their thing. But they, they, they missed out this middle patch. And that middle patch is where the problems can, can lie, right? Hunting and conservation are at the two ends of a long chain. And if those links in the chain aren't stable and secure, and if they're not evidenced and proper, then that chain isn't true. Um, you know, the actual act of hunting, the actual act of going and killing an animal and removing it from the ecosystem isn't, isn't in that situation, unless you're, you know, unless they're 
involved in some form of problem animal control or some other form of thing mm -hmm. yeah, that isn't that isn't conservation it's that link in the chain and that's where of course a lot of people will criticize it i think rightfully by saying hang on a minute are these links stable you know do these links even exist i mean some people say the links don't exist at all and that's clearly not true other people will say well the links are absolutely solid and stable and it's amazing clearly that's not true either you know, somewhere in the middle, we have situations where those links are solid and they work, and we have situations where they're not. And Do you that think is we've just done a terrible job of, I know, uh, this is a rhetorical question. We've done a terrible job of demonstrating the links. Yes, I, I think that's absolutely right. And I've spoken to um, sort of operators and, and things, and, you know, I've spent a lot of time sort of studying this um, and, and, and talking to people, and, and you realize that those links are there, but what generally happens is that that all, all of us that are sort of talking about this are often forced i think into some fairly well-trodden examples um you know we'll go we'll look at sort of um bba valley conservancy or the Save valley conservancy or look at you know this situation or that situation and it's like well you know great you can cherry pick some examples what about the rest and and it you're absolutely right it's 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 forming those links and i think and I think what's happened really is that, that at one end you've got you've got sort of big hunting groups like SCI and so on, who are you know they're an interest group, right? They're a, they're a vested interest group. And on the other side, you've got you've got sort of well-documented campaigns against against the activity. And 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 they're they're both now becoming so entrenched and so so polarized and so they have to support their position so hard because if they even let a tiny chink of doubt come in suddenly they feel like the whole edifice will fall down that you end up with these ridiculous statements like you know hunting is conservation you know without without hunters it would all go go to pot and you think well you know there's some yeah and then on the other side you've got people go well that's absolutely no benefit to anything and it's driving species to extinction and you go well actually and, and and neither side can admit any light into their argument or, or any or any chinks into their argument because if people that oppose hunting allow that it may have a benefit then suddenly right. they seem to, to you know to, to condone like people often go oh you're you know they'll say to me oh you're a you know you're a supporter you're a supporter of trophy and it's like well no actually um I, i'd be very very happy if it stopped tomorrow if it's replaced with something that's, that's got better value, right? I, I don't think that we would ever, you know, imagine we went to another planet, right? And, and we decided, oh, well, well, this is amazing, but we're going to exploit it for minerals, right? Fact. But there's a bunch of wildlife on there. This is a planet a long way away. There's a bunch of wildlife on there. And we really don't, we want to be careful with what we're doing here. And we all agree that it's our duty and responsibility to conserve the ecosystem here whilst we exploit it. We all say, okay, we're going to do that. And then someone pipes up in a meeting, hang on, guys, I've got, I've got this amazing idea, right? We'll conserve this habitat by charging people billions of dollars to get into a rocket and come over here and kill a few of them. And, you know, that idea is going to get shouted down, right? Because it's outrageous. It's ridiculous. It's not the way that we would choose. And, and I don't believe in 100 years time, it's the way that we'll have either. Um, but you know, nonetheless, it is a model that's working right now in some right. places. So, you know, that's, and, and that I think is really the, I think that's really, yeah, really the issue. But, but I think, but I think people that engage in, in, in trophy hunting, which is a, a difficult thing to unpack, and we can try and unpack what that actually means, but people that are engaging in, I suppose, let, let, let's call it trophy hunting. But what we mean by that is people that are spending money to go somewhere else to kill an animal for, you know, for that experience and to bring something back, whatever, whatever that means. You know, um, people that are engaging in that activity have to understand that the vast majority of people, um, and actually, and, you know, on both sides actually, don't really understand that. 
um, you know, that's not either that's not what they think should be happening or they feel a visceral um, personal, ethical and moral, you know, moral response to the fact that that's that's wrong. And I think right. I think what what hunting organizations have failed to do, um, you know, if we're speaking bluntly about this, what, what they what they fail to do is to accept that that is the opinion of a great many people and that those people are, are both entitled to their opinion and actually it's not an opinion that's that's unusual um even within you know the hunting fraternity i mean you know i'll, I'll talk to people in you know in southern africa who will hunt there you know they, they you know you stay on properties with with wildlife and you're eating meat around a bribe they haven't got that from the supermarket but you know you'll talk to them and it's maybe not a hunting property or they just have local biltong hunters in and you'll start talking about trophy hunters and, and they'll go these people are scum yeah. You know, now these are hunters, right? <laughs> Saying that. So I, I think, I think those larger organisations that have been pushing that forward have failed to really grasp that point. Just as um, those people that are calling for sort of bans and so on are, you know, it's the same thing. They can't let light in, right? You know, they're failing to grasp the point that actually, you know, what these guys make a point, right? They make a point that hunting does do that. But, you know, we think that we need a better way to do it. Let's try and find some middle ground. But, but now, now there is so much polarity about this that no one is looking to find middle ground outside of, you know, conservation scientists and things. I think, um, I think in Adam, terms isn't, of... it, isn't it tied to perceptions and understanding the truth, really? Because, you know, you're a communications guy. And to me, when, you, you, when I hear someone say, and you're absolutely right, there's always bad apples, right? And unfortunately, the bad apples in any lifestyle, including hunting, tends to garner the loudest voices, garner the best in the most attention. Yeah. But at the end of the day, a lot of the people that we hear from, and I live this world, you hear, ah, oh, trophy hunters are scum, like you just mentioned. Or hunters are scum. That's just, you know, in a broader context. More often than not, they don't know what a hunter is or they've never gotten to know a hunter, or because of this polarizing sort of system that we live in, the society that we live in. And so they don't really understand the heart of a hunter. They don't understand the things that, you know, typically are done. Now, again, I'm not condoning, and I don't think I need to, that someone pays a lot of money and goes over somewhere and has an adventure and selectively takes some wildlife. Is there, though, individuals that do it for very wrong reasons and become almost scum-like? Yeah, of course. I'm not going to deny that. And I think yeah, that's your I, point, right? Yeah, well, I think one of, the, um, w w one of the biggest kind of... I don't think a lot of people are aware of it, like, consciously, if you like, but certainly people will become aware of it very quickly if they dig into it. And it's sort of alluded to a lot is this notion of sort of almost collections and, and you know, SCI's kind of grand slams and all of this sort of stuff that really adds to that idea that, that actually, you know, these people, are they in it for, you know, some experience or something? Are they just basically, you know, at, at school they would collect badges and then they went on to collect something else. And now, you know, they've got a load of money and they're just, now they're just collecting heads on the wall. And, and you know, that's what a lot of people will think. And actually let's be, let's be blunt about it. Those individuals exist. I mean, you know, and, and that, that becomes difficult to condone or difficult even to, to sort of, um, I guess, put it up with because, because that, that goes against what a lot of people would, would think, even if they're actually making, and indeed you know, in many cases they will be, making an enormous contribution financially to right, the exactly. population. Right, exactly. Um, you know, and, that, and that becomes the problem as well because 
that the money that's involved, I mean, people, people, people that oppose it will get into all sorts of knots about this because they'll say to start with, well, there's no money really involved anyway and it doesn't make any difference. Uh, and, and then they'll go, and these people pay huge sums of money. And it's like, oh, hang on a minute. You know, you can't, you can't have it both ways. And, and you know, the, the money that's involved in, in some of these, these sorts of operations really do pay, really does pay for a lot. Um, but obviously, in some cases, it, it doesn't always get to where it should do. Um, yeah, I think even with that in mind, I think people feel very uneasy about that, about that collection um, mentality. And of course, you know, of course, those but parallels it, are made. Why is it different? Why is the collection mentality different? to someone saying that I want to go and scale every 14,000 foot peak all over the world. It's, it's the same, it's the same mentality. The argument would of course be that, you know, those, those, those hobbies, you know, mountain climbing, for example, doesn't involve, you know, killing animals. Um, yeah, it's, it's the act of killing. It's the act of the, the, the act of killing the animal that, that, that really is the, yeah, you know, the, the lynch, the, the sort of crux of the whole issue. And I think for many, um, it's the act of, Killing an animal that, if you like, um, didn't need to be killed is the wrong way to put it. But it's the act of killing an animal that people can't, can't see any, any end product to. So, for instance, killing a lion. Um, people will say this about elephants too, but, but elephant meat is, is, is utilised and has been throughout mm -hmm, human mm -hmm, history. Mm -hmm. um, but, but, for example, when people see, you know, someone over the, the, the carcass of a lion and you know, that, that lion wasn't attacking them. That lion wasn't an immediate threat to anyone. In, in many, many cases, actually, that lion will be a captive bred lion that will be released into, you know, habitat, not quite as small as the habitat often made out, but released into, into a, a constrained habitat um, and, and shot. And, and people look at that and go, that is, that is a senseless and pointless waste of life. And, you know, will the meat be used or not? Um, uh, you know, I, in some cases it is with lions and in some cases it isn't. Um, obviously, with things like, yeah, it, it, like things like an impala or a cuda or a springbok, tends to, and, and this is something I'm sort of in, I'm starting to investigate with some colleagues. But that tends to, I think, bring out less of a response because, because I think the connection actually between those animals and, and food is actually much, much better. I, th I think that's that's one of the issues. Maybe size is an issue. That's something we're investigating. You know, is, is the charisma of the animal an issue? Mm -hmm. But I think mm -hmm. when you see those photographs, which are the ones that cause the most amount of, of, of they're always the ones that people get behind in terms of right, campaigns. The charismatic megafauna. The charismatic megafauna, but also, yeah, but it's principally actually, I mean, I've done a, a newspaper analysis of this now in the UK and we're just, we're just writing it up, but the top species mentioned in all of these things and certainly the top species that are photographed as well are elephants, lions and giraffes. Now they are not the top species hunted by any means. Um, and in the areas where they're hunted, they're, they're hunting is not uh, a threat to them, quite the opposite, actually, in many of those places. Um, you know, that, but that, by the by, when you look at the images, it, 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 is, it is hard not to, not to feel. It, it feels there is a sense of senselessness about it. And I think, I think what, and then people will say, well, look, if, people, if these people care so much about conservation, right, why don't they just give the money to conservation? And exactly. you can say, you well, listen, you know. all the time. You hear the Yeah, and, and you say, time. okay, well, uh, you know, you're going to call yourself an eco-tourist and you're going to go and you think that your money trickles down to conservation, but actually it's just as bad. Yeah. There are just those links in the chain, right? You still have to establish them no matter what, what you're doing. Um, but if you love it so much, why don't you just give the money for your holiday to conservation? And, people, and, and then people will sort of backtrack and go, yeah, but I'm not killing anything. And you say, well, actually, you're disturbing a lot of wildlife through your activities. Um, you're probably reducing their, uh, their productivity, for example, certainly in things like cheetahs, we know that that's the case. You know, you're as humans, we have an impact on the world, whatever we do. I'm having an impact right now by having this computer on, you know, 
it's it's one of those things that I'm having. We're both drinking coffee. I know we're both having an impact on you know that wasn't grown here, right? <laughs> right. The climate change, you know, climate change hasn't kicked into that extent. Um, so we we always have that impact, and I think. I think it, it comes it comes down to first of all the killing of it, which I think a lot of people, even a lot of meat eaters, um, you know, they they are divorced from that, that side of what they do. That, 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 that's just a reality of modern life, right? And and it's a nice reality in a sense. Right? It's good that we don't have to go and slaughter a beast every day. Um, but equally, is it good that we have divorced ourselves from that process to such an extent that, that we no longer really understand it? Probably not. Um, so it's the killing side of it, but I think, I think for many, um, and certainly the feeling I get when I see these pictures as well, which is the same, I think, as a lot of people, you know, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about, you know, my first experiences of seeing this in a moment, if you like, but you know, my sense is the same, you know, there's a, a senseless, did, did, did that animal, you know, that, that, is, that is a difficult thing to square, and I, and I get that, I really do, and I think, I think many of us, you know, you know, many of us who are seeing us sort of speaking out for this, you know, <laughs> We get that. I totally understand that. The first time I came across the idea of trophy hunting, you know, it was, it, it, I, I found it very difficult to compute. Luckily, I was staying on a property which in, in Zambia, which, which was a wildlife haven. I mean, it was incredible. And I asked, you know, why is there so much stuff here? Everywhere else we've been, we drove from Malawi, we barely saw anything, you know, and it's all hidden. And they explained very passionately, you know, we, we farm wildlife in effect, you know, they didn't farm it in that sense, but wildlife lived on the property and they, they hunted it and I was like oh, okay um but I couldn't work out where the money came from right because I, I had enough about me to think this is a high revenue thing going on mm -hmm. here you know what's these those fences aren't cheap yeah you know, how does this work and and he said oh no 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 um you know we don't sell it for meat you know we use it for meat on the, on the property no, no no we um we we people pay to hunt and and that was when I I sort of said okay I don't really get this and and you know right. the guy sat down and explained to me and, and bearing in mind I just finished doing an undergraduate degree that, that covered conservation and so on, um, and that's that's when he sort of explained it to me and and I felt, yeah it was it was the beginning of sort of okay I can see the value of it right because I'm on the property right I can see I can see around me what the guy is saying is true, but. Mm. And then I started looking through, they had a copy of, um, I think it was either Roland Ward or SCI, whichever, whichever one it was. I think it was SCI probably. They had a lot of American hunters coming. And you, know, you look through the, the book uh, and you just see these lists and lists and lists of animals, you know, that, that have been shot and all the, the measurements and stuff. And it all sort of blurs into one. And then you go through and it shows you how to measure stuff. And you've got like porcupine and stuff in the back there. And yeah, I, I was, and, I, and I still, yeah, I still find, um, you know, people going and shooting gannets and stuff. It's like, yeah, what are you going to do? You know, measure it and say it was this long. And then, yeah, uh, for me, that's, yeah, I, I don't get that. But, but I, st I started to understand a little bit about the value of it. But I, I mm. completely get where people are coming from. What I don't How do we get, address the senselessness? Sorry, go ahead. I know what No, I was going to say, what, what, what I don't get is, is the inability then for people to, to start thinking, okay, well, these people are saying this stuff that maybe it has a value. Maybe I should listen a little bit to what they're saying um, as well, uh, rather than just saying, I think this is completely wrong. I, I totally get that. I was in the same camp. I think this is completely wrong. Therefore, it must be banned immediately. You know, it's like you, you, can't, you can't approach the complex world with those simple binaries. What I think is therefore, you know, that, that is actually, let's be honest, that is a very childish Mm -hmm. yeah, that, that's, that is a very childish way to think. Mm -hmm. and, and we have to grow up as, as, a, as a species, right? We've been kids in the sweet shop for too long. We have to start sure. growing up. Well, social but media, yeah, unfortunately, is perpetuating the kids in the, in the sweet shop. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, scenario. it doesn't help. So the senselessness of the killing is essentially, I would say it's the crux of the matter. 
to me, yeah, that's I think it. So. That is the thing. And so to, dare I say, debunk the senselessness, but rather explain why it's not senseless. Yeah. Comes back down to the evidence-based links between yeah. why the, <clears throat> the action itself and the consequences of those actions. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and those, let, let's talk about the ideal scenario, which, which, you know, doesn't exist anywhere in the world in anything, but, but actually, you know, we, we approach it quite closely in some places. The, the ideal thing would be that somebody, somebody comes to um, you know, a place and they pay a, a, a bunch of money. I mean, you know, people go on three week trips to, to hunt elephant or lion, you know, tens of thousands probably doesn't encompass it. Well, um, of thousands of dollars. Yeah. I mean, so, I yeah. mean, you know, some of these people are ultra high net worth individuals and, and, and they've got money and, and some aren't, some are people that will have saved all their life for, for an African hunting experience for sure. I mean, you know, they're a diverse group, but in general, they're not that diverse, <laughs> being honest about it. Um, and, and they will come and they will pay that money and they will go out and they will, they will hunt. And probably whilst they're there, they will hunt other animals too. And, and they will end up you know, eating those. So they, they may well be involved in, um, for example, I don't know, they're, 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 let's say they're there for an elephant and a buffalo, um, you know, two big, big animals that attract, that attract um, big money. Um, and, and whilst they're there, they may also, I don't know, shoot a kudu or an impala, you know, that might, that may or may not be a trophy animal. It may be an animal that they keep the skin of, or it may be an animal they measure and get in the book if that's what they want, or it might just be an animal that feeds the camp, right? Um, but there'll be other hunting experiences going on, but their principal aim and they'll pay for those. Um, but their principal aim will be those, those bigger animals and, and they will hunt them. And then those animals will be prepared in whichever way they've chosen. Um, I mean, in the case of an elephant, you know, you, you've got, you've got to have a big house to have that in there, right? Yeah, multiple um, Buffalo, uh, usually people are after the kind of horns and the big bosses and stuff. So they might just do a skull mount or something that will be prepared in, in there and exported and all of that. Now, that's the basic scenario that's going on. But, but, but to do that, they will have paid a huge amount of money to be there on the ground. You know, so that will be going directly to the lodge. They will have paid trophy fees and so on. They will have paid a, a bunch of money just for the animal. Um, and in the ideal world, of course, that, that then gets dispersed to the local community through conservation fees and so on. So that's what you see in places like Namibia. Um, it will be dispersed through salary, which is often overlooked, by the way, um, and through um, meat. You know, an elephant is a, is a, a big bull elephant, it's like five or six tons. That's an awful lot of meat um, yep. that will get dispersed locally. Um, you know, some of these bigger operations in, in sort of uh, like the... BBA Valley Conservancy and stuff are donating you know, thousands of kilograms of meat to, to local communities a, a month and so on. Um, so the meat gets dispersed and then, and then there will be hard cash. And that hard cash is important because you know, vehicles need servicing and punctures are a daily event. Um, fuel is expensive, fences need repairing. And also you need patrols out there because, because one of the, the primary things that, that this is used to pay for is anti poaching it's it's used to protect animals from unregulated unmanaged off tank which is a very very large um uh, threat to animals so i mean i was talking to someone in um uh, zambia last week and they'd said that they'd stopped counting at twenty thousand snares that they'd removed from this property once they'd started you know those snare lines are taking lots of animals and stuff so that's done and then of course you've also got to broker agreements with local communities you've got yep, a, yep. you know it's it's a very complex thing because what you're trying to say to people is look the value to you is as meat 
but actually there's more value if you don't do that and you get on board with this model there's value through money and through employment and so on well you know you've got to prove that that's the case or you're going to people are going to sit by and go i'll tell you what we'll give this guy 20 years to prove his case that's not how it's going to work so there's community relations that have to be to be broken this is a complex thing i mean you you talk to people that are doing this it's 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 a love i mean it's a Mm full-time and they're, they're driven you know in many cases i mean not all right but in many of the people i've spoken to are driven by a very deep passion for conserving habitats but they also understand that they have to use the tools that work and and for them the tools that work is hunting now of course the problem the old adage when you've got to hammer everything's a nail you know if 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 that's the tool that you think works then you're going to apply it and actually are there alternatives are there other ways that are better and by better i don't just mean more socially acceptable i mean actually better right actually better for local community development actually better for wildlife and habitat you know these are ways that we have to explore for sure um but yeah those is there a better tool right now is there a better tool and and those you know those links in the chain when you can evidence them you are still left right you can evidence them to all you like and you can come up with a you know you can take people down and they'll see the thing but at the end of the day if people are fundamentally and vehemently opposed to the uh, either the killing of animals or what they would perceive to be this and, and which i can see you know where they're coming from the, you know, what they, the senseless killing of an animal you, you, it doesn't matter how strong the chain is it's it's predicated on something that is that is not ever going to win your argument and and right. and i think increasingly that that is the case and, and and of course that's why people are looking for alternatives um but those alternatives have to be in play you know they have to work because uh, once you lose habitat it's not coming back right you know i'm never going to get that lovely you know bird nest field outside filled you know that's never going to happen again right when i'm never going to see hedgehogs in my garden again it's just a reality right um and and you know this is happening so i think that is that is great we're looking for alternatives brilliant if people want to replace the model with something that's that's more socially acceptable wonderful if you know i don't have to turn on my facebook and see some picture of some gurning fall over a dead giraffe yeah brilliant right but they have to work and and i think one of the fundamental problems facing people that oppose trophy hunting is 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 the dawning reality i think you know many of them realize that actually this system does work in cases you know i've seen statements from organizations where you know um, they, they admit that it'll be pulling the rug from under their feet. You know, we'll need something in place. You know, they understand that actually this is kind of working in some places. But what we don't have is an alternative that works at scale. You know, that's 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 the big mission. Um, yeah, people are working on things like carbon credits and stuff. I mean, Amy Dickman's very involved with that. Um, certainly, in some places, you can have much much better ecotouristic operations. Mm-hmm. You know, but that that is not that is not the go-to solution for a great many places um, the luke hoffman institute surveyed 135 i think different alternatives and they're all working locally and there are lots of, of great 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 initiatives but but yeah are we going to solve this problem property by property um yeah how's it going to work i mean so some people have said right we just put all the money in the pot i mean i've said this before <laughs> great all the money in the pot we just stop people from from hunting they'll still have to hunt for meat by the way you know but, but no one will be paying for the privilege right the the, the senselessness of it will have gone um but how, how are we going to administer that? are we going to go to like ten thousand properties in south africa and every private farmer and conservancy in namibia and all the people in mozambique and say yeah it's, it, it it logistically feels tr- troublesome let's put it that way um you know and 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 also and, and there's something that really gets overlooked a little bit um what right have we got to do that 
Exactly. Because this isn't, yeah, we it's control almost what's a colonialist, going on. In... A colonialist, colonialist attitude, you know, yes. from the West to say to everyone else, well, we think we've got a better ideology than you do. So yeah. you need to listen to us and you will be much happier at the end of the day because you've listened yeah. to us. And of course, that, that, that creates its own problems. Um, there is this neo-colonial aspect to it, for sure. But, but, but what also happens is that you end up entrenching that argument even further. And, and you know, you'll, you'll, you'll sort of see um, you know, communications people from, from countries sort of saying, no, this is like the perfect system and stuff. And you think, well, hang on, that's not true. <laughs> you know, no, no, let, show me a perfect system that involves thousands of people. I mean, that's the other thing is we, we, we talk very loosely about sort of trophy hunting, like as if it's one activity in one country or something. I mean, we're talking about a very complex range of activities involving species and populations across different countries and politics and cultures and everything, right? And we lump it into one sum and go, it's bad or it's good or whatever. Um, you know, and, and it just, it, it, it entrenches people further. It doesn't, it doesn't encourage open dialogue because you only solve problems. I mean, yeah, it's a trite sort of nonsense that you'd find on a t-shirt or something, but you, you only solve problems by admitting that you have problems and, right. and having, you know, having some transparency about it. And I think, you know, that's, that's, that's something that needs to be, needs to be done too. Those problems need to be identified more widely sure. and, and they are actually, I mean, people are working on this. There are problems with lions in Zimbabwe and quotas and things that were changed and so on. But no matter what you do, as we've already said, you're always building a pyramid on something that, that is for many people, uh, you know, a, a moral, a moral issue. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you hold a moral belief, you're not going to talk someone out of it with evidence, mm -hmm. you know, just well, the same as you're not going to, talk someone out of religion with going you know well exactly really did he rise after being killed you know that's that's <laughs> never going to work yeah i think that's one of the things that we strive for at blood origins every day is just we bring a little bit of the emotional side of things because that tends to tweak someone a little differently than facts and evidence we do like yeah. to talk about facts and evidence but it's also talking storytelling fact telling truth telling those links about what happens after the kill what happens after that thing after the the animal's life is taken and that it's a big deal that it is a you know we need to respect those animals we need to look at that not just as a senseless act of killing but yeah all the things that come with it I, I would rather, you know, that, that, that someone, you know, someone, someone's killed a lion, right? And, and people will say, oh, it's cowardly and all this stuff. Well, you know, you track a lion on foot and, and see, see how that, that goes for you. Um, you know, it's, it's not always quite that simple. Um, but, but regardless of that, right, there's, there's the animal. Instead of standing over a photo of a dead animal, which you know right, is going to cause offence, it offends people across the board right so why do it why not stand by a big pile of school books why not stand by a well and go you know i came to africa and through my activities i funded 100%, 100%. this right? why, why not stand why because it happens right that, that's the, you know these things are they're not made up by the hunting industry schools are built wells are sunk vehicles are bought fuel is but yeah these things happen and and i think you know when, when people market hunts right um and and it does i mean if it you look at some of this material and it's kind of, yeah, it's like a shopping list. It doesn't feel like there's much sense of respect for the animals. It's like, oh, and, you know, throw them, you know, verbit monkeys are a pest in a lot of places in South Africa, whether we, you know, whether we're happy or comfortable with that depiction or not, it is nonetheless true. And they are, they are shot as vermin. And in many provinces, I believe they're shot without bag limits throughout the year. And properties will offer people, you know, want to come and shoot a monkey. Yeah, why not, why not chuck a monkey? And you'll see that, you know, do some monkey control. 
And, and all of this, and you read through this list and you think that there doesn't feel much of a sense of respect, but what you don't see in any of those things, and this is the public face of this, right? You don't see that link, those links being made. And I think, you know, that's where really the, the hunting sort of fraternity and people like SCI and DSC and everything, you know, they will talk about the conservation benefits they bring in their report. They'll talk about it, right? And you can find it and you can evidence it and you can find it in scientific literature and so on. But that is not what people find when they search on Facebook in hunting groups and stuff. What they find is pictures of people with animals. And, and you know, it feels like a very hollow argument to do all of that and then, and then sort of say afterwards, oh, but, you know, I bought a school. Well, let's see the school then, because if you're that proud of that, if you think that those links are that solid, where's, where, where is that? You know, where, where is that front and centre? And, you know, rather than advertise, you know, come and shoot X number of animals for Y amount of money, why not advertise, you know, a hunting experience that will fund, you know, uh, I mean, schools are a good example, but, you know, the, that will fund our vehicles for three years, you know. Um, I mean, some of the money that's talked about, there was a black rhino that was auctioned. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't know what happened with the hunt. There was a huge public outrage. Yeah, and, 2018, $350,000. $350,000. And, and actually, here's the, here's the backstory that you may not know. That black rhino should have gone for $800,000. Yeah. And the reason it didn't was because it got leaked out and the animal yeah. rights groups said, we're going to castrate the individual who buys this hunt. And what happened? It caused a lot of people to be scared. Yeah. And to the auction and bidding on the animals. So actually they lost about half a million dollars yeah. worth of revenue for that. Animal. Yeah. And, and, and that revenue, I mean, so, so I think the backstory for that, Ryan, and certainly one that was, was offered recently was actually, it was part of a breeding population and, and, yeah, animals don't move around as naturally as they could, and they're in smaller pockets. That's just a fragmentation of the landscape, right? That's just the reality of it. And um, when rhino get to a certain age, the, the older males kind of have difficulty letting go. They're not, they're not covering the females enough, basically right. they're breeding enough. They're too busy fighting right. to get anything else done. And so, and so you can actually end up with a reduction in your productivity, which for an animal that's endangered is not a, is not a good plan, right? You want more, mm -hmm. you don't want fewer of them um so you know part of the management might be to remove those individuals now you could dart that individual and, and, and translocate it somewhere but it's not going to breed anywhere else either and you know it's a very costly operation and also um potentially Probably cause the same problems so the animal right yeah or you introduce it to another herd where it causes the same problems exactly so you know people are left with a real quandary right what do they do with the animal um it needs to be removed they can't afford to do it but they could get enough money to pay for the security for the rest of the property probably for years of someone shooting it but you know that's we know that that's the argument but it still comes down to getting people to accept the what they would see as a senseless thing and and i think one of the reasons why they have problems accepting that is that, that they don't you know they haven't been to these places they don't mm -hmm. know enough about it they're seeing they're seeing one thing and they're having a response to that and they're translating that into into some sort of action and they're seeing the thing which is a dead animal their response is that you know emotionally that is senseless and wrong and immoral and the action is let's prevent that and and that is yeah it's, that's human behavior, right? We see stuff, we, we intervene, we fix it, right? That's, that's a beautiful thing, but it's more complex than that. And when you, when you intervene, sometimes you don't always, you don't always get the end result that you want. And, and, you know, that's, that's, that's the difficulty. And I think, I think, you know, there needs to be more, you know, those links that we've talked about, those, those links in yep, the chain, yep. you know, you're not going to win over everyone and neither should you right and the world's <laughs> who wants to be a you know there's there, there has to be pushback you know there has to be pushback from people 
Um, but but those links need to be evidenced more. And I think hunting organisations have have a duty to do that. And I think they can do that through the way that they behave and the way that they communicate and and the way that they encourage their members to communicate and behave. And, and you know, I don't know enough about the, the membership of these groups. And I don't know enough about how representative they are of of the majority of people that are, are paying, you know, that, that are providing the money for this. But I, my guess is that they are pretty representative of it and that mm-hmm. many of the people that are doing this will be members of those organisations. And, and I think if, you know, putting, putting that value front and centre, not advertising that you, you can come and shoot a, you know, 56 inch or whatever the, the, the current Vogue is, you know, QD for $8,000 or whatever, but, you know, come on a QD hunt and fund a school, you know, come on, a, come on an Impala hunt and dig this well. You know, that's uh, that feels to me like a, a more, um, well, for them, a more sustainable approach for their organization. Adam, aren't we just pressures there? Aren't we just, and, and this is a, again, being blunt, aren't we putting lipstick on a pig? Why don't we, are we not just, a, why, why should we be afraid of, a, and again, I understand, I'm just, I'm making a point here. Why should we be afraid of killing an animal? Knowing full well that, again, here you know that animal will die one day. Mother Nature, when she decides to take that animal's life, is not going to be nice about it. It's going to be no, violent. No, it's going to be cruel. It's going to be, yeah, you know, everything that we are typically do not do in when we take that animal's life. So I, I think my 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 you know would be that we do both, right? That it's okay. We have to show that that animal died but we also have to show the yeah. consequence of the action i think i think you're right i, th- I think yeah um and i, I like yeah, lipstick on a pig is a good is, is a good phrase in, in in this case because it is an ugly it's an ugly thing right it's it, it is but not that pigs are ugly by the way i think pigs have a picture of one behind me um but you know it, it, it is it is and, and perhaps that that does need to be you're right and perhaps that does need to be owned but i think i think if people want to want to say that that link is there and that that is a a justification if you like for what they're doing then i think i think the evidence for that link needs Equal to be representation. yeah Equal and and if yeah and if and if there's a pride behind doing that then why not why not do that because because i've certainly seen narratives of of, of um you know hunters that, that that pay the money right um saying you know very very proud that that you know my activities down here have led to this you know, this road was was very, very valuable local community, but it cost X amount of money to get a grader in, and it was my money that did that. And and you know, I've spoken to people, you know, face to face where they've said these things as well. But that is not the narratives that you see emerging. Um, you know, and that's that's important. But let's let's also be be blunt about it. And it's the the photographs that if it weren't for well, I think two things. If it weren't for Cecil the Lion, if it weren't for trophy photos and social media, we we wouldn't be having this conversation. Right. Um, the conversation would be being had. It's not like hunting as a conservation tool wasn't discussed before or hadn't had a huge build-up of academic study. Right? It has, but it wouldn't. It wasn't really a public issue. It wasn't something that's going to get mentioned in the Queen's speech today, for example, in UK Parliament. Um, you know, it's not something that's the subject of podcasts and, and everything else. It was just something that happened, um, and that, in fact, you know, as I as I showed in the early two thousands, you could be you know, pretty, pretty, pretty decent undergraduate doing all sorts of stuff in conservation ecology. You have no idea about it until until you went there. Um, so I think I think the depiction of it 
and particularly what people would regard as disrespectful. The disrespectful depiction of it, um, I think, really pushes people's buttons. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I get that, you know, mm-hmm. I do. And well, I think I know that know, we are. It, it is a communication issue, but it's more than that. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it, it, it goes deeper than that. And I think people have to understand other people's viewpoint and perspective in this. But it's, that is not just people that you know, have the, the wherewithal to go and spend, I don't know, 50,000 to go and shoot something, have to understand people that find that repellent, right? And have to, to get their argument. It's also the other side. People that, that find it repellent have to start thinking a little bit about, about the bigger picture as well. well Basically, I guess, you know, there has to be some middle ground because if there's not, um, you know, the, the direction of travel is, is going to be um, towards more and more restrictions on, on hunting and more and more public outrage about it, um, whether that's informed or otherwise, but that, that's the direction of travel. Um, we live in a world of populist politics. Um, these things are easy wins. And, and the ratchet will get tightened and, and people that rely on this funding in, in Southern Africa are going to have to find other means and they probably won't in many places. And, you know, we're going to, I mean, there was a, a, the science letter that, that um, Amy Dickman led and that, that I'm, and Keith indeed and, and others of signatories of says that, you know, um, banning trophy hunting will, trophy hunting bans will imperil, imperil biodiversity. You know, that's, that's the right. title of the letter, I think. And, and that in a nutshell is, is what, what we fear. I, I frankly couldn't care less if it was if it was banned if it's replaced you know my 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 motivation here is that my great great grandchildren can go to places and see wildlife outside of national parks outside of heavily guarded little enclaves right can see wildlife and and you know my fear like i said i couldn't care less if it was banned tomorrow it would probably make my life a lot easier right but um it needs it needs to be replaced. It needs to be replaced with land use that values wildlife. And if it's not, you know, we know what's going to happen um, because we've seen it happening, and and that's what we what we caution about. And, and I think that is what people don't get. You know, they don't get when they when they hear people saying this. They think, oh, you're supporting it. You know, the number of times I've been told that I'm in the pockets of the DSC and SCI, I'm absolutely not. Actually, I've had very angry messages from individuals from both of them before. I, I always figure I'm on a, I'm on a winner. I did I did a documentary for the BBC about this um, trophy hunting sort of back in 2015, and I got very angry um, responses from both sides. And I thought, brilliant, right? That, that's how you know you, 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 know, you did your job presenting balance right it's it, it isn't that it's it's you know amy's a vegetarian you know that's um, right you know th- these things that we're you know i to- i can't stand those images either right <laughs> i wish i wish we could find a better way and we do need to work towards a better way this isn't what we, we shouldn't be having this conversation in 100 years time but that transition period if you like that tra- you know all that period where where we find not not just an alternative perhaps but complementary methods mm-hmm. where we find acceptable things where, where we where we find our feet in global conservation during that period we can't just sit and gaze at our navels and pretend that solutions are going to present themselves right we have to be we have to make sure they're in place before we pull out what's already there and that's and that's our major major concern is that by by having these these bands right. um of all sorts we will be pulling the rug out from from under them and and that that is not something that can be done if we value biodiversity. Well, I think, I think I speak for the majority of the hunting community that says we want the same thing that, that you just said is that we want, I want my kids, my grandkids to see wildlife all over the world. And that's something that we're, we're keenly aware of and keenly want. And hunting is 
one tool that that works very well and we can, we've seen it through the science and we've seen it through the wildlife populations uh, data that, that that is working right now but i agree with you that there is always room for improvement in anything that we do and especially with the with a lifestyle like hunting that uh, unfortunately in a society that seems to be coming more and more offended every day by all sorts of things that we just need to be cognizant of that and we need to be respectful of that and we need to show as we've talked about many times the links of between hunting and conservation yeah and and i think you know those those evidence links that's that that's crucial otherwise the argument the argument breaks down even if even if you can get people on board and, and even if they say okay you know i accept that animals die and i eat animals and you know fair enough but then you've got the links and yeah, right. that, that is, that is what's, that is what's crucial to it. And, and of course you've also got a lot of other things muddying the waters. I mean, here in the UK, for instance, we have huge releases of game birds, pheasants and so on, which, which is a completely different kettle of fish, right? <laughs> completely different thing, but it's people, it's people basically paying to go and kill animals. And so that gets, that gets washed up. I mean, I have to get asked what I think about driven grouse shooting and stuff. And it's like, I, I actually don't, I don't have an opinion on it because I haven't read up about it. And I don't know very much about it. Um, you know, I, so I don't feel qualified to have an opinion on it. But right. do I like do I like looking out on the landscape and seeing a load of people in tweed blasting away, putting lead all over the landscape? Got to say, doesn't really fill me with great joy. Do I do I, you know, do I enjoy dodging pheasants as I drive down the roads here at certain times of the year? Not really. Do I understand that releasing millions of game birds into an area must have some form of ecological impact? Yes, um, but that is a different issue, right? And, sure. and the, but the problem is it is subsumed. And I think you know we also see fishing getting getting sort of almost either let off the hook to use the, to use an appropriate um, metaphor or sort of brought in like as if all of these things are equal. And, and that's that's different as well. And you yeah. know I think you know where, where I'm sort of focusing on I guess is is the the activity that has become you know known as trophy hunting within southern africa and i think mm -hmm. you know that's that's where i'm sort of passionate about the the wildlife but this is a complex issue across the world you know it's, it's not it's not a one-size-fits-all animals are dying and it's wrong and therefore we need to do something about it it's 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 much more complex than that yep. well adam i appreciate your time uh, i know that we could speak for probably another couple of hours and maybe the <laughs> next time we get together we sort of lump the whole idea of sustainable use of wildlife resources, which is probably a bigger well, yeah. fish. But, that that uh, would be that would be a good conversation because of course, you know, that links in with I mean, there's some COVID links with this, right? The whole the whole thing that we see about about suddenly, oh wildlife, you know, people suddenly became aware of the fact that people are eating all kinds of stuff around the world. And you go, yeah, you know, they maybe don't have a supermarket. I mean, God, I can drive for 20 minutes here and I've got more food than it'll last me for a lifetime, right? But that's <laughs> <laughs> that's a right. different form of living and and what do we mean by sustainable um that is another well, <laughs> well that's we'll another few hours that. of discussion exactly. yes exactly. what does sustainable mean well thank you adam i much appreciate you i i truly uh respect your opinion um your voice and amy's voice and keith um is is are very much needed and we appreciate uh, what you bring to the table thank you that's no, been a pleasure well, that's it for today. I appreciate you listening, as always. Leave a review, share it with your friends, and most importantly, do what's right to convey the truth around hunting.